It's wonderful to be with you this morning. It's great to be back to my alma mater, Houghton College, but also a personal pleasure for me to be here in this congregational worship at the, uh, my wife's home church. I, I married a Houghton citizen, Phyllis Gilbert, family with a long uh, history in this community and many connections to many of the families here in this congregation. It's the family church and has meant so much in our lives and our spiritual pilgrimage. And it's a great privilege to open God's word with you today and to speak about this amazing thing that Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. I'm just finishing a, a chest cold, and so you may have to put up a little bit of coughing along the way, but I do want to talk about this, this wonderful text. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. What an amazing thing to say. Phyllis and I were in uh, one of the chain bookstores. It was either a Borders or a Barnes & Noble uh, several years ago, and I went to the religion section, and many of you know what that looks like. There's a long shelf that'll have Asian religions and another one for Islam and one for Judaism and Christian fiction and Christian devotions and sometimes Christian history. And on this one, there was a, a fairly high shelf on the bottom, and the label said, Oversized Religion. I thought, I, I should try to get a sermon out of that uh, someday, but we do have an oversized religion. Huh? A savior who made this amazing claim, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Actually, he was using two-thirds of a formulation that we find elsewhere in the New Testament. In Philippians 2, for example, it says that uh, because Jesus came and suffered as a servant and lived a life of, uh, of obedience to God and went to the cross, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, he has been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And those were really more generally acknowledged than even in the Christian world in those ancient times as the, the three levels of authority in the universe. The highest level of authority that people acknowledged was the, the heavenly realm, which for the most part was what we would think of as the realm of the angels, a, a spirit world, principalities and powers that, that had a direct influence on the the visible authorities that we see on the earth. So the angelic powers in the heavens. <coughs> and then on the earth, the, the visible powers. We see them and we recognize them. We know their names. The ancient world, it was pretty much the emperor, the empress, the king and queen. And they had authority over all of culture, not just politics, although they certainly had that. They were the the emperor was the ruler of the games, was the ruler of the marketplace, economic life, ruler of the entertainment system, the ruler of the military, of the kinship system, of all spheres, all areas of, 
of human life, the, the visible authorities, which today, of course, we, we have a lot more people that we need to know their names because we have visible authorities in every one of those areas that, that attempts to exercise influence over us in various areas of our lives. <laughs> and then under the earth, the, this is the spooky area of demons and departed spirits, the spirits of the dead. And the Apostle Paul says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the authority of Jesus Christ, who alone is the ruler over all things. We get those same uh, three levels of authority mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 5, where there's this wonderful scenario in the heavenly courts that John has the privilege of witnessing where they found this scroll. (laughs) And if you know what's in the scroll, you know how it's all going to end up. You know the plot line. You know, for example, whether there's going to be a happy ending or not. If you don't know what's in the scroll, for all you know, it's just kind of chaos, meaningless. So they really want to know what's in the scroll, but the scroll is sealed with seven seals. So the request goes out in the courts of heaven, who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? And they send out a search committee. And the search committee comes back and says, we searched everywhere. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to take the scroll and to open its seals. No angel could open the scroll. Michael the archangel couldn't do it. Gabriel, none of the seraphim or cherubim. That angel Moroni who stands atop every Mormon temple, he could not take the scroll to open its seals. So then they looked on the earth. (coughs) President Obama could not take the scroll and open its seals. But neither could Donald Trump take the scroll and open the seals. No one at the Wall Street Journal could take the scroll and open its seals. No, the governor of New York could not take the scroll. No no college football coach, uh, no NFL coach could take the scroll to open its seals. And try as he might, Justin Bieber was not able to take the scroll and to open its seals. So then they looked under the earth. None of the walking dead could take the scroll. No zombie, no vampire, no spirit of the dead, no ghost could take the scroll to open its seals. And John says, I wept because it's so important to know what's in the scroll. And then suddenly they come with, a, with an announcement, we found someone, we, we did another search and we found someone and... <coughs> The lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of Jesse, he is able to take the scroll and to open its seal. And John looks, and it's not a lion, it's a lamb, a very powerful lamb who shows up. And then the courts of heaven break out in this wonderful hymn to the lamb. You are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us a kingdom and priests unto our God. It's the lamb who is able to take the scroll 
and to open its seals. Jesus Christ alone has the authority over all of history. And I think it's so important to understand that in terms of what Jesus says to his disciples, because otherwise it seems kind of a a theological puzzle. (laughs) He says, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given unto me. What do you mean given? We sang it just a little while ago. He's the Lord of creation. He had it all along. It is him by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. He's the king of the whole creation. What does it mean that all that authority has been given unto him? And here we have to remember that Satan brought our rebellion into the world, seduced us into worshiping false gods of trying to be our own rulers. The whole creation fell under a curse. And the only way for that curse to be lifted, the only way in which the redemption of the whole cosmos could take place, so we find out in John 317 that the Father sent the Son into the cosmos, the, the whole universe, not to condemn the creation, but that the creation through him might be saved, might be redeemed. And I believe Jesus was coming to his disciples and he was holding out his nail-pierced hands and he says, see what happened? Because of this, because of the shed blood of Calvary, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. I got it back from the grip of Satan. What does that mean for us on this Sunday? We come to church and we We've acknowledged the, the point of this declaration of Jesus uh, over and over again this morning. Though the wrong seem off so strong, he is the ruler yet. He's the king of creation. We're going to sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels and, and everything else in prostrate fall before him. He's the Lord of all. But what does that mean for our lives, especially on this Labor Day weekend when we're thinking about, supposed to be thinking about the nature of our daily work, doing our tasks to the glory of God. One thing it means that is people who have come and have not acknowledged in worship the authority of Jesus Christ, we need to go forth from this place acknowledging it, naming it. I wrote a book several years ago called praying at Burger King. I got that title from uh, an experience that I had. I was at a convention. A friend and I wanted to get together, and we decided to leave the convention, and we went off to a local Burger King. Just sat there, and we ordered our food. It was a very busy Burger King. Little kids running around at noon, and a lot of noise, the smell of French fries in the air. We had to wait in line to get our orders. We each got a burger whopper with cheese, fries, and then not to feel quite so guilty, we got uh, Diet Cokes. And uh, (laughs) we went to uh, a little table, finally it was one open, we sat there, just before we started munching on our whoppers, we bowed our heads and just silently prayed. And as we started to eat, my friend said to me, you ever think how weird it is to pray at Burger King? You know, it's hard to 
get in a mood with the noise and the hustle and bustle. It's hard to get in a spiritual mood to pray sincerely and genuinely uh, to God at Burger King. And I, I thought a lot about that. And I thought, you know, you don't really have to get in the mood in order to honor God at Burger King. Now, suppose you're in a mall and uh, you're looking ahead, the crowds are coming toward you and you see somebody that you haven't seen for maybe six months. You really like this person and she's coming toward you and you know you have to greet her and you want to be able to say, hey, it's good to see you. But you think, you know, I, I'm really not quite there yet. Uh, I've got to go off by myself and just get in the right mood. I've got to think about my experiences with her, my past with her, so that when I say, hey, it's really good to see you, I'm really being sincere about it. You, know, you don't have time for that, right? And you do it because she's there. And we pray to God at Burger King and at Subway and the other restaurant this town and any place. So we pray to God in the, in the stadium, in front of the TV set, in the bedroom, in the workplace, in the classroom, because he's there. And we acknowledge that all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. We acknowledge it, and we claim that for him. It's not always clear what we're going to do about it, but at the very beginning, we have to at least claim that territory for him. I have an African-American friend who took a pastorate in an inner city in a ghetto, and he was two weeks into his new ministry, and I ran into him and said to him, How, how's it going? And he said, you know, I haven't preached yet, really haven't met most of the people in my congregation. He said, I've been, I've been spending these two weeks walking around the ghetto claiming the territory for Jesus. And that's a good signal for us of what we need to do. We, we claim the classroom for Jesus. We claim the workspace for Jesus. We claim the bedroom for Jesus. We claim the stadium for Jesus. We claim the theater and the TV set for Jesus. We claim the, the supermarket for Jesus. Claim it for him. And then wrestle with the difficult questions of, of what does it mean for us to, to acknowledge and to claim that, that territory for him. And, and that's a struggle. It isn't always clear what it means. And I don't have a lot of easy answers. But we've got we to gotta keep at it. It's so important. And we can keep at it because Jesus gives us hope. The scroll has been opened. He is worthy to take the scroll and to open it sealed. And we know, we know the basic plot line. After I've been doing a lot of writing and speaking, teaching. Sometimes I get on a plane, if I really want to relax, I'll, uh, I'll read a, a novel. I, I was an English major at Houghton College, and, and so I have to confess, I usually don't choose a very good novel. Uh, not real trashy stuff either, but kind of in the middle. Uh, and uh, Robert Ludlow, huh? Tom Clancy, David Baldacci, I, those thriller novels. I like. You know how it goes? Uh, there are 450 pages in the novel. And you're halfway through, page 225. The hero's in big trouble. 
The house is surrounded. You don't know how he's going to get out alive. And the woman he loves is being held captive someplace else. And I get into it, you know. I go to the last page. <laughs> I, I don't read it carefully. I just kind of skim over it. Because I want to find out two things. One is he's still alive. And he always is, by the way. He's still alive. And secondly, the two of them are together again. And once I've ascertained those two things, I can go back to page 225. And I still don't know how, to, how it's all going to work out. I still get into the plot, make my way through it slowly with all of the agonies along the way. But I can do so with confidence because I've seen the last page. And I've got wonderful news for you this morning. We've seen the last page. Maybe you're on page 225 or 275 or whatever. And I don't have easy answers for you. You may be struggling with something going on in your body or in a relationship or regarding your economic future or how you fit into the larger scheme of things or wondering what God wants you to do with your life or wondering about what God has been doing in your life. Uh, I don't have easy answers for you. But I can tell you this. I've seen the last page. And in the end, it will be well. Because in the end, Jesus says to his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's here with us today. He goes forth with us. Even on page 225, he's already with us and he will be with us on the last page and it's going to be a wonderful last page. Because on that last page, Jesus Christ is going to return and every eye will see him and every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he's Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And he's going to say, behold, I make all things new. And when he makes all things new, he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. He's going to heal our brokenness. There aren't going to be any more heart attacks, any more cancer, any more HIV AIDS, no more divorce, no more broken families, no more drive-by shootings, no more terrorist acts, no more little kids pleading for governments to, to let them pass their borders. All will be well in the end. And on page 225, we can't figure out quite how that's going to happen, but we can go on from this place today in confidence because Jesus is going to come again and the ending will indeed be a happy one. He is with us and he will be with us at the end of the age. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto you. We worship you. We love you. And I pray for each person here that the things that we have brought with us in our lives to this time of worship, are things that we can now go forth in confidence and hope, knowing that it will be well because you are indeed the one who will be with us to the end of the age. And I pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen.